it's really good to be back here again. Um, I don't I don't even remember when the last time was that we were here for church. Uh, probably, I know we didn't have the new drum set last time, so however long that was. Between um, between sickness and uh, traveling and all of that, it's just it's been a long time. So it's really good to be back here again. Um, and thank you very much to all of you that uh, text and called and offered to help with all kinds of stuff when we were um, in the hospital with Camelia. Very much appreciate that um, from all of you. Um, I've titled the message a foundation of fear, and that feels a little bit... Um, feels just a little bit sacrilegious, I guess, to call, uh, call something, you know, speak of, of, a, of fear being a foundation, foundational element in, in a Christian life. Um, and, it, and it, you know, and it is in a certain sense. And I'm speaking, uh, talking specifically about the fear of God when I, when I say, when I say fear. And um, I told Luke just earlier this morning that I feel like, to be honest, I feel like I'm I'm coming up here with more questions about this whole subject than I did when I first started studying, which is kind of a vulnerable position to be in, because um, there's there's just um, I, I thought there were some things that I understood about it, and I think there are some things that 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 I understand about it, but there's also a lot of you know just maybe maybe, maybe the whole process was a little bit of a um, revealed some faulty. Uh, dysfunctional beliefs that I had about God and and so forth, and and it just opened up some more questions and things that, I'll be honest, I don't really understand. So I would love to, as we go through this, um, I pray that there's something maybe that you can take that some of these, uh, this discussion or or some of the questions and so forth that we'll examine, maybe bring something to surface in your own heart, something that you can take home, because I don't know that I, 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 I don't feel like I have a lot of a lot of take-home meat here, but maybe God can minister to you anyway. I pray that He can. But I would love to. One thing I would love to uh, hear is some. As we go through this, um, there's there's probably going to be some questions that you're going to feel like I don't really answer, and that's because I don't really have the answers. But I would love to have some feedback from you guys. You know, either later on today or later on. You know next week if you have some time to think about it maybe we can learn together on this subject but um you know if we look at if we look at certain uh passages like um the one in first john where where john says that there is no fear in love that's we can all say that verse with our um in our sleep um it's a very very common verse there's no fear in love Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I personally, I believe that with my whole heart. I believe that, um, I believe that fear, that love, um, drives out fear. I just, I, I, I think that's, I don't think that fear and love mix. Um, and we'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit. Um. But but John is is John is referring to a principle here that a person who's living in fear when he experiences 
the love of God or even to a lesser extent love from other human beings, that fear is removed because fear is based in distrust um, or an unequal um, or, or an unbalance of power, I would say. If, if, we, if there is something that we don't trust, if I'm walking, if I'm walking three miles from the truck up in Alaska somewhere and I'm, it's, the brush is thick and I'm coming around the trail and a grizzly bear comes around the trail five feet in front of me, I have no confidence. I do not trust that bear. And I'm probably going to feel a lot of fear in that moment because I'd have no trust. That he may feel the same way about me. I don't know. But there's probably going to be an element of fear in both of us because we do not trust each other. And if we look at just about every kind of fear, and probably the kind of fear that John is referring to here, it is based in distrust or a fear of what someone made, an unbalance of power, fear of what someone can and probably will do to us, which is, I guess comes back to distrust. So trust and fear, um, trust lives in love, and, and, and love drives out fear. I believe that. I think that's, very, I think that's true. Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here he's ta- This is Romans 8. Um, Paul is talking about the, you know, he just got, we just got through Romans 6 and 7. Paul is talking about, you know, the old covenant and the new covenant and the fact the, you know, that the power of sin is broken, the power of the sin nature is broken, and that we now have the Holy Spirit who does not, there's no condemnation in the Holy Spirit, but rather his spirit bears witness with him that we are sons of God. And it says that um, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear, but rather it, it, uh, by the spirit we are adopted, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So this is, you know, so this, so this this is what we have on 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 one side. These are, this is the the clash of fear and love. You know, the the love drives out the fear. But at the same time, we I'm just going to very quickly go through some other verses that also talk about fear. Acts 9:31. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And I want to, you know, the first, the first thought you may have is, well, go back to the original, you know, look at the Greek meanings. You know, there's, there's different connotations and there's different meanings and so forth. It's not. They're the same word. They're the exact um, same word. And they mean the same thing if you, if you go back and look at the original. Uh, Philippians 2.12, that's, that's, that's the case for, for all of these. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 1 Peter 1.17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. 2 Corinthians 7.1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 5.11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. So like I said, it's the same word. It's the, on, on one side, we have you know, fear, uh, fear and love do not mix. Fear and love, you know, love drives out fear. We have the, the spirit that we've received um, 
we were given so that we're no longer slaves to fear, but we can, you know, we, we're sons of God. And then on the other hand, we have all of these, um, we have all of these examples of the believers walking in the fear of God. And so the question, I guess, we have to, the question that I have to ask myself is what, how, how do you reconcile this? How, how does this work practically? Um, because I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of simply taking the word of God for what it says. You know, I, I'm, um, I lose interest very quickly when people begin to try to assign other meanings to, you know, to, to, to twist the meaning. It doesn't, it doesn't actually mean what it says. It, kind of, it means this and this and this to make it fit a certain box. I, I don't like doing that. I, I, and so when I, when I see things like, like this, I have to assume that there's something about the nature of God, about the principles of God that I don't, that I'm not seeing clearly or that I don't understand. And so <clears throat> this is something that I want to, I guess, kind of dive into a little bit this morning. Um, you know, maybe maybe a couple other questions, and, and these were some things that I that I that I looked at in trying to um, under understand this a little better, maybe. Because uh, again, I, I came into this subject thinking that I knew what I was, that I, that I knew what the fear of the Lord was, and the more I studied, the more I wasn't sure that maybe, that maybe I did didn't know. Um, but a couple, you know, I was talking about this with some other people, and they said, "Well, you know, look at how would you feel in a, you know, marriage is the type of Christ in the church, and how would you feel if your wife was afraid of you, like you know, she she she." obeyed you or served you out of fear and and you know i said well obviously that that would be no fun at all i, I would not that, that's i don't think fear should have any place in a marriage i um that's it's a good analogy but um how do you have the fear of the lord then you know how, how does how does that work what about jesus you know jesus life how did did, did he fear uh, what did the fear of the Lord look like in Jesus' life? That was kind of the question. That that was kind of home base for me. Where, coming back, what did the fear of God look like in Jesus' life? Um, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really talk about. Um, he he does, there is the one verse where it says, "Fear him uh, who has the power to destroy both soul and body in hell." Um, but he, but you know, in practically working out, you know, Jesus' relationship with God, what does that look like? What does what should it look like for us? Um, and for me, it brought a lot of clarity, I think, going back to the Old Testament. As the Old Testament talks a lot about the fear of God in a very positive sense. And you hear a lot uh, here again, coming back to um, trying to make verses fit into a certain theology. I've, I've heard you know, a lot of people explain the fear of the Lord as being afraid of his judgment if we disobey or afraid of, you know, afraid of missing it or afraid of you know there, there's there, there's there's an element of fear that keeps us on the straight and narrow way because we're afraid of what would happen if we if we came off and i don't think the verses that um that talk about the fear of the lord are that it just doesn't fit 
Like to, to, me, to me, that's not what we're talking about here. The fear of the Lord, especially in the Old Testament, is a very, very positive thing. Um, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. And, you know, it's over and over again in, in, the, in, the, New, in the Old Testament, particularly, not so much in the New, but in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord was a very, very positive thing. And it was not only something that, you know, they were commanded to do, but there was multiple blessings spoken over people who fear the Lord. And I just want to look at one in particular in Job, uh, Job 28. Re- uh, really quick, going to go through some verses here. Starting in verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, it is not in me, and the sea saith, it is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or pearls, or for the, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living, and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, We have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven, to make the weight for the winds, and he weigheth the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder, when, he di- when did he see it and declare it? He prepared it, yea, he searched it out, talking about God, and unto man he said. And so, so Job is describing something here that is, by all appearances, impossible to obtain. There is no precious metal on earth that can be traded for this, for this item. Um. And, but, but, he, but he says that God knows it. God knows where it is. He has searched it out. Uh, and unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And so if, if you assign that level of value to the fear of the Lord and to wisdom, I think it deserves to be looked at. And I don't think he's talking about something where... We are afraid of a wrath of, of the wrath that may happen if we don't live a holy life. Um, and these verses, not, not those verses particular, but this idea of fear being fear is not only wisdom; it is the beginning of it's the foundation of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. You don't obtain wisdom and understanding without the fear of the Lord. Like the, the fear of the Lord has to be present in order to experience these other things. So. You know, so, so that's, that's where my title came from, A Foundation of Fear. Um, hopefully that makes a little more sense. Um, and, and I'm still not 100% sure how, how all of that should work together in, you know, the, the, the Abba Father relationship and the fear of God. But I, I want to look at a couple things that um, clarified it uh, for me. And one is... Um, Speaking about the laws of God, not only, um, you know, since since the very beginning of time, probably before time, you know, when God created the earth, 
there were certain laws that were put in place at that time that have not changed since and they will not change. The, the law of gravity and the law of physics and the law of um, you know, relativity and, and all of these laws, some of these laws you know, that mankind has harnessed to be able to fly an airplane. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I have never been flying in an airplane and lived with the fear that the law of gravity may suddenly change and that we would just drift off into space and never be able to land again. It's not something that crosses my mind. The law of gravity can be trusted 100% of the time. It works every single time. And the kingdom of heaven, in the same way, has certain laws that are fixed and that will never change. Um, I want to read a couple of verses out of... Um, Psalms, I think this is Psalms 9. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And then it says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. He just, you know, he, he just got done talking about the, you know, the, the, the planets, the line that has been set for the sun and, and the, you know, the whole solar system. We understand how precise and how ordered and how concise all of those are. And then in verse 7, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. They do not, and, and it's not only, you know, again, it's not only physical laws, the laws of, of you know, of gravity and physics and all of that, but the law of God, the laws in the kingdom of heaven are the way that they are, and they are not changed. And, you know, I think sometimes we say that, you know, or, 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 or people, you hear it, you know, that, that people say that God, uh, you know, punishes them or brought trials into their life or whatever. And I think a lot of times it's just simply we, d- we didn't understand the law. We were trying to fly an airplane without understanding the law of physics, and then we... Um, we don't understand why it hurt when we crashed because we didn't fully understand something about the laws of God. Many times it's not, you know, God may not, and this is not true all the time, but I, th- I think many times in, in, in our own lives we, we simply, we, we break laws that we don't understand. We experience pain as a result and we think that, you know, we blame our circumstances or we blame God or whatever. And many times it's, we simply did not understand something about God. Um, go back to Psalm 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Here again we have the fear of the, the King James says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's not something that the fear of the Lord, you know, if you're not motivated by love, at least you're motivated by fear. Uh, it's, not, it's not that position at all. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's pure. It's a good thing. Um, the decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. And so when, when I look at other verses that say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is... Um, is the beginning of the foundation of wisdom and understanding. And I look at 
So, so how does the fear of the Lord relate to wisdom and understanding? Understanding the laws of God as we just spoke about. I didn't go off on a rabbit trail talking about the laws of God because I think it ties together. And if we look at that principle that we see over and over in the Old Testament about the, law, the, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, I think at a fundamental level, the fear of the Lord, at least to a large degree, simply says, God, it's a heart position that says, God, you are right. Your holiness, your righteousness is beyond my understanding. And with an awe and a reverence, I surrender. I, don't, I, I, think you, I think surrender is as synonymous with the fear of the Lord as works is to faith. I don't think you can separate the two. Because the fear of the Lord seems to me to simply be a heart posture of surrender and complete obedience before God that says, God, your laws are perfect. Your way is perfect. And when there is a question of my way or God's way, there really is no question. God is right. And to um, when I started thinking about this whole subject, uh, I'm going to go back to our Sunday school uh, lesson several months ago. We were talking about Samuel and David, and I hope you guys are not um, tired of beating that horse because we're going to beat him a little bit again. The I want to kind of illustrate what I'm, where I'm coming from and to bring in a couple other points. I want to I want to look at the difference in the way that Saul did. I say Samuel and uh, David, Saul and David. Um, I want to look at the difference in some of the ways that that Saul related to God and the way that David related to God. Um, and I think we can see as we look in their lives that a primary difference in the, in, the, in the way that they ordered, the two of them ordered their lives is that one had a fear of the Lord and the other one didn't. The, um, looking at when Saul, uh, when, when, when Samuel came to Saul and, and, and ordered him to go out and kill the, kill the Amalekites, told him to completely destroy the Amalekites, and we, we all know how that went. Saul went out. And he destroyed everyone except the king, and he kept a bunch of the best animals and so forth for sacrifice. And I'm sure in Saul's, in Saul's mind, this made a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm not even, even going to go into that, but you know, keep some of the best animals. We can use them to sacrifice. We don't have to use our own. And um, you know, what better way to redeem a situation than to use the enemy's animals to sacrifice to God? You know, this, this makes a lot of sense, right? And Samuel came and approached Saul and said, uh, basically told him, you did not do what God told you to do. And Saul said, yes, we did. We went and completely destroyed the Amalekites. We only kept a couple of the animals. And there was, there was, there was no recognition and no realization of what he had just done, spitting in the face of God and not doing what God had specifically commanded him to do. The fear, the fear of the Lord was just missing and it, and because of that Saul made what we can look back to now and see was a very foolish decision like the, that decision 
legitimately destroyed Saul's entire life and his family. He lost the kingship over that one over that one decision, and so it was a very foolish decision. And this is without without exception. This is what happens when um, when we make decisions outside of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The lack of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of foolishness. You, you, they, 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 they work together. And so when we, when we operate outside of the fear of the Lord, we will make foolish decisions. If you don't believe that, maybe look around you in, in, in the world around us, in politics and whatever. I mean, the fear of the Lord, when the fear of the Lord is lacking, there is no end to the foolish decisions that can be made. And I want to contrast this with the posture of David's heart. Now, David and Saul both, um, and this was when, when David sinned with Bathsheba, David and Saul both made a very foolish decision. Both of them initially, uh, Saul's action with the Amalekites and David's action with Bathsheba, both of those were made outside of the fear of the Lord. I think we can, I think we can say that. Like both of them gave no recognition to the law and the perfection and the holiness and righteousness of God when, when, when they committed that sin. The difference is when they were, when they were approached about it, when they were confronted about it, the, um, you know, Saul completely denied that there was any wrongdoing. David immediately repented before God. I want to look at one other case or one other um, situation. You know, in the very beginning, when Saul was anointed king, um, it says uh, Saul's, Saul's um, dad's donkeys, I think, were, were lost, and Saul was out looking for them, and he couldn't find them, and he went and talked to Samuel, and that was when Samuel anointed him as king of Israel, anointed, anointed Saul as king of Israel. And then sometime later, um, it came time to present Saul to the uh, to the to the nations of Israel, they 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 went through the formality of casting lots and all that, and the lot fell to Saul, and it was time to present him as king, and they couldn't find him. He was he was gone, and God revealed to them that he was back there hiding him on the stuff, and they went and they 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 got him out and they uh, anointed him as king. I want to contrast this with the actions of David. Um, Samuel also anointed David as king at the time that he was a shepherd boy. One of the next um, I think maybe the next uh, in the, or instance that we read about in David's life is when he, his father sent him to the uh, army to take the bread and cheese and things to his brothers. And David showed up at the, at the battle. Goliath came out and he challenged the armies of Israel. And David's first reaction was, what is this man doing defying the armies of the living God? And he immediately said, I'll go fight him. If nobody else will go fight him, I will go. And I, I, I started thinking about this different. Like, what caused Saul to go back and hide among the stuff when, his, when, when the time came for him to fulfill what God had called him to do? And what caused David to show up at the battlefield and immediately, without hesitation, step into the role that God had called him to do? And I think, again... It came back to a fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is not a position of groveling and trembling, but it is a position of surrender 
and agreement with what God says, including the agreement with what God says that I am. And so the fear of the Lord is not simply um, rather than living in a place of uh, if I can put words into this, if rather than, than, than being um, limited by fear in, our, in this relationship, we are empowered by the fear. It's empowering, not limiting the, the fear of the Lord. And, and I think in this way, it's possible for the love and fear to walk in lockstep with each other. It's a... Um, it's more than just a reverence and an awe of God, but it's a complete surrender to who he is, the fact that he is right, and it walks in agreement with him because we love him and we fear him at the same time. And I think um, as we do that, it also here's, – here's the interesting thing. As we, as we walk in the fear of the Lord – it also drives out unhealthy fear. Because as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we no longer care about what other people say because we're surrendered to what God says. And when the fear of the Lord is present, there's surrender to his holiness and his righteousness. There's no fear about what may happen to you because God is holy, he's righteous, and he's in control. And in the context of the fear of God, we're surrendered to God. We believe him and we trust him completely. And we can say in the same way that David did that the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? A few verses prior, he says, let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? May God bless.